Hey, I'm Alan McGuire. And I'm Sarah Griffin. And this is Juvenalia, a podcast where we talk to an interesting person about a bit of pop culture it was important to them when they were young. Our guest today is the assistant news editor of the journal.ie and one of the hosts of Get Around to It, Eva Barry. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. I'm really glad you think I'm interesting. <laughs> I was like, I was going to be boring like, person today. Start like, assistant news editor, jazz singer, all around motherfucker, Eva <laughs> <laughs> Barry. Thanks so much. Oh, motherfucker, I'll take that as yeah. well. <laughs> Makes me sound way more exciting than I am in real life. Well, I'm super excited what you're going to talk about. Yeah. Because okay. it was super important to me as well. Yay. Introduce this person so yes um, I'm going to talk about Jeff Buckley R.I.P because he meant a lot to me when I was a teenager and still means a lot to me Mm -hmm. and I had a feeling he might mean a lot to you as well um, and that there'd be a good conversation about him and his music because Mm -hmm. like his music kind of still abides and um, people I suppose are probably still discovering him but um, because I suppose when I was getting into music I was getting stuff on tape and things like that I just thought there was so much rich stuff that you're thinking about music in the 90s and things like that too mm. so plenty to chat about I think so tell us about like I'm guessing because we're pretty much the same age yeah I think. I think so yeah so I'm guessing 21 we're, f- we're very young yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm so- nine <laughs> I'm gonna make my whole confirmation in a couple of years so I don't know about you guys stick on the side of youth here I'm yeah. gonna betray how old I am pretty quickly I don't know quickly. what CDs are I'm yeah. gonna some blocks in the corner <laughs> I'm baby lucky thing but uh, so you guys I would say you were 14, 15 I was, about, I was actually yeah. about 15, 16 okay yeah um, mm. and, and my friend at the time who's my boyfriend my very very long term boyfriend still um, uh, Cormac he was really into this guy called Jeff Buckley and myself and my friends used to like kind of mock him over it because we'd pass him past the, the kind of cover of Grace in Virgin Megastores in Cork we were like 15 years old thinking we were all mad into music and he'd always be like this album's brilliant like it's my favourite album I love it and we weren't really hearing about him from other people because mm. a lot of us maybe didn't have older siblings who were into music so we were really discovering it kind of ourselves um, and eventually he gave me Grace on tape oh. and that was when I realised uh, we were all idiots for it kind of mm-hmm. you know jokingly in a friendly way making kind of fun of him for for being into it and uh, kind of realised the, the greatness of his music and that kind of totally started an obsession then with, with me to the point where like he was like please mention me on the podcast because <laughs> he just became my thing and I kind of stole him a little it's bit so rare that people go this person gave me this thing yeah like it's a really strange like footnote that's always missing mm. you know because often I think from that time we kind of especially if we're the eldest or yeah. you don't have somebody feeding you taste you just kind of fumble blindly around until you find your taste totally but receiving an album is a gift that actually becomes a part of your like aesthetic and yeah. your, your world like that's huge you know so, I got, totally McCormick. yeah I got given Jeff Buckley as well my I'm the oldest as well but my yeah. next door neighbour uh, Patrick was like three years older than me and he had a part time job and bought a lot of CDs Lucky him. So he just gave me a loan of grace one night. And I remember like sitting in my room with big headphones on and listen to it. And I di- didn't grab me immediately. Yeah. But when I got to Hallelujah, I was like, oh, I think this is the best song ever. Um, <laughs> I think I've just heard the best song ever. So tell me this before we move on. Did Jeff Buckley write Hallelujah? No, no. Leonard Cohen Leonard wrote, wrote yeah. Hallelujah. And that's but the, the grace yeah. version is the one that kind of lifted it out of yeah and like, into very much like a pop it's a pop song it's exactly. a pop ballad like, it, yeah it's I think I always find that really interesting because like the version he did he took certain verses out of the song so he mm. kind of made his own ver- version I suppose ah. oh, something just fell down there but it's made very, out of foam so gently so. kind of tumbled from the noise. it's just it's, a, it's, it's it was a very graceful blind slap he definitely did swoon so he um, yeah so Jeff Buckley didn't write it Leonard Cohen did and it is really interesting how 
like obviously Jeff Buckley was really really big within the kind of indie rock I suppose sphere but I, I'm not entirely sure how it got onto the agenda of people like doing you know um, those uh what am I saying? Like those shows, you know, what, like, you're a star, not you're a star, it's the Irish one. Well, exactly. well, 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 sorry, yeah, yeah. I can yeah. tell you exactly it. how that happened. Yes, it happened via Rufus Wainwright's cover for the Shrek sound. That yeah. is it. That is yes, but it's the missing link. You are 100, you are 100% yeah. right. Yeah, that was missing link. When yeah. Jeff Buckley did it and it turned into a pop song when Rufus Wainwright did it. You've answered my question that I somehow did not make the link to. So yeah, so that's how it went kind of mainstream. But the Rufus version is definitely based off Jeff Buckley's version. Yeah, it's a, con- it's definitely like a, a continuing yeah, yeah. conversation. Like, yeah. And he actually, um, and Rufus Wainwright, his song Memphis Skyline is about Jeff Buckley oh, and Jeff Buckley's death. So I did completing the circle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, exactly. Another another total legend. Um, there was so, a 90s rumour that Jeff Buckley added a verse to Hallelujah. That one of the verses was written by him. Oh, I never we checked We used to debate which lyrics. one it was. Because uh, you look it up then. Like, yeah, but, of course you couldn't like Google. Yeah, but no we used Google. to like, have like discussions about I think it might be the last verse. The one I about um, there are versions yeah. that that I I actually I when you said Leonard Cohen I was like oh I literally did know that yeah <laughs> uh, and I know that there I just completely blinded but it feels like Jeff but Buckley's is... song right and I oh, think yeah. that's the thing about him that like you know and we'll probably get into more more about it later but he's he's he was an artist that really like excelled doing cover versions and mm. to the point where he owned the cover versions so much they sounded like his own song and that's really what got him on people's radar when he was playing in Chennai in the East Village and I don't think there's that many people that you can say that about where they're cover artists but they're not just cover artists they mm. bring something really completely unique mm. to the song so I really like how it does feel like he owns them and then there's there's stuff like Corpus Christi Carol that's on Grace which is a Benjamin Britten song I'd never heard of Benjamin Britten I didn't know who he was mm. you know when I was 16 and he's a very popular answer on Pointless yeah there you go yeah. and and like I think you know the fact that he covered that on it and that's something that sounds completely kind of wild I think when you're 16 mm. you're like what's this weird slightly you know operatic song on this album you know so there's a weirdness to him that it's I enjoy. something that comes across in Grace and especially in all the live stuff like um the big word, the extended version of Shanae and Mystery White Boy and stuff. Yeah. Is how widely he listens to music. Totally. His like knowledge is just off the charts. Like in the little snippets of stuff on the Shanae, the long Shanae thing, he'll just jump into like a bit of a Dwayne Eddy song or yeah. a bit of like some Arabian like folk rock and then just drop out of it again. He just has all this just to like on a file of facts, you can just drop it out and drop it into bits and pieces it's of really songs. Beautiful to like witness somebody who's a scholar. Do you know mm. who is just like genuinely interested and loves their craft, and it becomes less about him then and about music as a whole. That's really. so true, mm. and I I think uh, I know a while back there was a site you could go to where they had um, his entire record collection. Like oh, you really? could look at all the records he owned. Yeah. Oh I don't God. know if it's still online, but like that exactly. It was you look at it and you're you realize this guy loved music, lived and breathed it. You know, was the son of a really famous musician. Um, just kind of bought all the records and he played stuff like MC5 who you wouldn't think sound anything like his music and mm. he he loved like you know Simone and Edith Piaf and things mm. like that um, and he introduced a lot of us I think to, to like unusual music because like you were saying there um Nusrat Ate, Nusrat Ali Fateh Khan, I think, is one of the guys he covered. Mm. And I remember us going, "Ooh, you know, who's this guy? Yeah, yeah. And how 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 did this kind of indie rock guy get into this music made by this guy who's from the other side of the world?" And it just was kind of cool to see that he put everybody on this like the same level. I probably said that that musician's name wrong, but but essentially, anyway, he he put them all on the same level, and it, and it wasn't in a like snobby way of like, "I can't believe you don't know, kick mm. up the jams or whatever," you know. That was definitely the first place that I heard the man and got away. 
Ah. was on Mr. White Boy. Really? That's there like the like, canon version is his version, which it shouldn't be, but That's it is. Wild. I love that yeah. though, that like your canon version of all these tracks can mm. be hit somebody else's version and then you you go and you f- seek out the original and you're like, oh, your mind's kind of blown by the differences and how they interpret it and things like that too. My God, that's uh, that's such an interesting way to come to that Garland realness. Yeah, right. Judy yeah. Garland yeah. by Jeff Buckley. It's a weird another thing that yeah. like, Buckley and Rufus Wainwright have in common is this Judy Garland thing. That's you so know? true. Like it removes the it removes the inherent kind of. I was about to say it removes the camp from <laughs> the camp from. Like no, it doesn't remove the camp <laughs> from it at all. It's another beautiful layer of it's camp. Another beautiful, it. it's another yeah. beautiful layer yeah. of camp. Yeah. Um, and did he die when he was, is he 27 club? Did he, he die when no. he was 27 club? No, he was older. But oh, was I, he? I feel like because he was so kind of young looking and youthful. He, almost, he feels yeah, like he Yeah, he feels yeah, like yeah. he's part of that kind of club. No, he's in his early 30s, I think, when he when he died. And like, I was looking back at all the videos that last night, because like when we were teenagers, YouTube did not exist. But MTV mm. did. Like MTV did, exactly. Mm. So you got but music you one, videos. But you one video. All he had was Ask Goodbye. Exactly. Only video. So what? we we never really got to see him. I didn't see him live, obviously, because he was dead uh, yeah. when I got yeah. into him. Um, I there was He wasn't really on TV in no, terms of... No, I had a live DVD beatbox. that I watched a oh, lot. You were a step ahead of me because yeah, I did yeah. not have a live DVD at all. Mm. Getting into music at, at a time where you were like getting tapes from people and kind of going back to what you were saying, yeah, Sarah, about the gifts. Your friends giving... Like literally, like so many of the formative albums that I loved were friends going to me... Here's like this album or here's the Blink-182 debut album. Mm. A band I, I actually have the soft spot for because my friend Cal, uh, Cal Doyle, gave me that album ah, years ago um, when we were teenagers. And it was like, oh, you know, this person loves that record and yeah. you're going to love it too. Um, but it also meant that like, it was really hard to buy records. You had to like, you know, spend 15 pounds on one. Scarcity mm-hmm. really, really amplifies how much you, tr- you treasure things. hundred percent. Like I was on the train the other night on the way back from Galway and I was like, I don't really use Spotify. We My my Spotify reports are always like, who are you? What is this? Um, but I was listening to music on the way home and you kind of do have to check in with the reality that you can access any song you want to hear at any time. Yeah. No matter how obscure, no matter how oblique. You can listen to that music in that moment without question. It is the eternal jukebox. Whereas it is not really that long ago, genuinely, that we were carrying around CD cases. Completely. And, and you treasured that tape or that CD and you yeah. only had one or two you could take with you. So you yeah. were like, what will I bring with me on holiday? Like, you know, I remember, and I remember the certain albums really, like say the first Coldplay album. I loved that album so much mm. because it came out and I went on like a family holiday and brought it with me mm. and like listened to nothing but that. And that every time I, anytime I hear a song from it, it reminds me of that time. But I do... I do kind of like that scarcity thing you're talking about. There is a joy in it. And I know there's an being like, a, you know, getting older, it's easy to say in my day, you know, it was but much better. But our day was literally not even 10 years ago. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's that condensed, it's getting up to 10 years ago, yeah. but that's actually really not that long ago at all. And it's amazing how the first thing to become utopian in its level of access was music. Now it impacts artists and it has problems, but it's never been a better time to be a person who listens to music. But there was something in those copies of Grace. And like I used to take out the front little album books and, yeah, you know, the cards and read them and like and have the lyrics in front of you written down in the way that they were intended to be written down. And, you know, yes, you could skip a song if you like, if you didn't like yeah. it so much mm. or you could listen to Lilac Wine on repeat forever, which is yeah. what I did. Um, best drinking song in the world. Um <laughs> Christ, that was, I think that's my favorite song off that album. And uh, yeah, it, it mattered. I don't know where I got my copy of Grace. I don't know how oh, yeah. it came to me. 
you know, there's a few, very small handful of albums that I listen to over and over again. Bikaronga, Jeff Buckley. Bikaronga, I like. Obsessed. feel like I know nobody else who liked Bikaronga. I've seen her like four like, times. Yeah. No way. I've seen yeah. her like four times. You're kidding. Is yeah. she still going? Or no, what's no, no. Right I now? went to see her back in the day. I saw her play Terror Records next to Brown Thomas, like off Grafton Street. That's yeah, yeah. She wore black cowboy boots, a black dress and a black velvet blazer. She was very cool. She was so... I I'll saw her forget. on Live a Tree. No way. When I was hung over in college. <laughs> And I was in the exact exact emotional state to receive Vic Runga. Oh, and what, a student, like, like, a student no, broken. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It holds, she holds up. Mm. She holds up really, really well. She's still great. Um, it's scarily long ago now. But, oh, that's uh, not, that's oh not if, yeah. but if you put a time lapse on how long ago Sway was, like you don't want to what think about it. Uh, Sway's such a So bang. good. So um, good. But that... I know how I found her. Mm-hmm. I know how I found Gwen Stefani. I know how I found my gals, you know. Yeah. I don't I don't remember who gave me Jeff Buckley, but I know maybe I I'm thinking about Terror Records now and yeah. like the record store as temple, as place you go, even yeah. if you're not interested really in music. There is a movie section. And yeah. it was it was a site of visitation every Saturday. You know, it's like, okay, well, we'll go to Terror Records. And it must have been one of those five ninety nine or nine ninety nine on sale moments. Because I can't think of any other reason that I would have picked it up other than possibly to look as though I was look as though at least I was listening to the same music as everybody else. <laughs> but then I found that I loved it. So bonus. Like um I have a really strong sense of memory of it. Um what a weird what a weird thing, you know? When we were fifteen we went to Disney World for a holiday. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. So it was like a forty minute drive from the hotel to Disney World every day. Mm-hmm. And I had two tapes with me. One of them was Mystery White Boy, the, the Jeff Buckley Live album. Amazing. And then the other one was Ellie Smith XO on one side and Neil Young Harvest. Are we the, the other. same person growing we, we up? Actually oh, might be. Yeah, actually yeah, young Harvest. Like, but yeah, like yeah. if I'd had Spotify, I would not have listened to Mystery White Boy every day for two mm. weeks. Like a live album. Like how yeah. often would you listen to in fairness a live yeah. album every day? You know pre- what I mean? I think I prefer it to Grace. <gasps> really? It's such a good it's such a good record though. It is, He's so good live. All like, the, yeah. the little trills and Grace notes and stuff he does mm. and all the little extra guitar bits he does are just they just everything enhances it pretty much. Something he gets a little bit self indulgent sometimes on it. Yeah, like he definitely he strikes, strikes me as somebody who was like well into what he could do. He in loves that his sense, voice, but know? it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of joyful voice. that he just. Yeah. I love singers who love their voices. Like my sister always says this about Barbara Streisand and Adele. That when they're singing, that you can see that they're just like fucking living. They're yeah. Just like, yeah, this is awesome. Like there's a that really famous viral um, carpool karaoke with Adele in it. Yes. When she's singing, she's just receiving her life from her own energy. Mm. She just she's just a self perpetuating fucking machine. And uh, I reckon if you can do it. Like, mm. love yourself, you know? Totally. Oh, I've had the best time the last two weeks singing along to Grace in my car. Yeah. It's so much fun. Can you reach the high notes that uh, Jeff can reach? It doesn't sound good, but I can do something <laughs> yeah. too. Because yeah. he had like, his vocal range was ridiculous. Mm. Like, ridiculous. And it's like four octaves? It Fuck. must be like, because yeah. he can, like, I was going to say, he's a lot of, like a soprano. Like, yeah, yeah, like he mm. reaches notes sopranos reach, like with female sopranos mm. reach. And then he can sing quite, quite low as well. And he, and he can do so much with his voice, you know? like it's just so malleable and mm. I loved how it was, as well when you listen to the live records like Mystery White Boy or Live at Olympia or Sinead the little kind of patter he has between the tracks and he kind of chats to the crowd and makes fun of them and he'd be like you know um, at Live at Olympia he'd be talking about Edith Piaf and he'd be like you know manger beaucoup de fromage or whatever you know like <laughs> that is, is in my head yeah, I know I can hear him saying that Paris, you know yeah. and you're just kind of listening and you're like oh this you know this guy is a bit of crack as well mm. as being like um, you know this is another Nina Simone song or whatever he's also yeah, yeah. saying um, so I, I kind of wondered what it would be like to see him do that live as well that like this guy is like well into what he's playing 
um, and also wants to communicate with you as an audience member because mm. I don't you don't get that from every band, do you? Like, no, you, no I mean, we just get up, get up I mean, and do we've been it, to like, a lot of gigs, yeah, and nothing is really like. I've never experienced really anything like those. No. Those gigs on those they, albums. Yeah. They sound like really epic. Like he was mm. very present there. And the whole band yeah. were really, really present and like into it. I um, guess because there was like a two year period where he was doing it rather than him being on like year 15 and still playing Hallelujah every night. Exactly. He was still in the joy of like he had 2,000 people are here. Yeah. Yeah. I am. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's even the, the more desperately sad bit of it is that you, the imprint and the thumbprint that we have is somebody at the height of their powers. Totally. And I think that adds to the whole kind of myth around him as well mm. where like so sketches for my sweetheart the drunk is like the posthumous record which there was all these rumours at least when I was growing up anyway or when I was a teenager about how you know Jeff really actually wanted to like set fire to the master tapes he didn't like it and that it it got released maybe and he didn't want it to be re- mm. to be released I think he recorded it with Tom Verlaine from television and the songs aren't like the songs on Grace and it They're isn't not. as good as Grace yeah, yeah. but they are there are some great covers um, and there's some really great songs on it but it sounds really different mm-hmm. um, in many ways so the myth then is like what we could have had we'll never know what he would have done yeah. um, and he didn't really write that many songs um, himself until he got the record label deal with Columbia and then had to start writing more tracks he was more of a covers person and I think that's so mad too that he got this mm-hmm. like record deal with a really big label just because he was like bloody brilliant at you know playing in Chennai in the cafe um, yeah. which is owned by an Irish person as well so like there's all these Irish connections to him as well too um, but yeah so I just think he's he's a really uh, unique kind of uh, person in terms of getting a label and existing in that mm. world at that time too mm-hmm. yeah no I was thinking there about like the the things that get released after your memory and that's how, or after you've passed and those are the things that people then know of you and that's yeah. really a shame mm. but like I feel like that bit about Amy Winehouse like yeah. there's this long shadow you know of tragedy and it's like oh you never got to see what she could have been but we do have that video of her super drunk on stage at like Jules Holland or whatever mm. and that's played out and played out and played out instead of the well you know both both her work and the weird dark shit is played out too but I guess uh, nobody gets a call, really, do they? On what gets yeah. uh, published and what doesn't after mm. they die. Because there's been a yeah. lot. Sorry, don't go on. No, I was going to say just because, like you said, she like the whole we got to see the breakdown of Amy mm. Winehouse in front of us, whereas with, with Jeff, Jeff Buckley, it, it kind of happened. You know, there was stuff behind the scenes, maybe, and it's, myth- but... and it's mythological, right? You know, because yeah. when we would have started listening to him, it would have been like, oh, he went swimming with his boots on, and that's how he died, and that yeah. was how all I ever yeah. knew was yeah. that he went swimming with his boots on, and I had no concept of it. So then I kind of was like, I assumed that he did it on purpose, and then last night I was reading about it, and I was just like. There was no drugs or alcohol found in his no, system. No, it just went for a yeah. swim and they never came back. It's crazy. And there's that mm. photograph. Uh, actually, what were you going to say? Sorry. Oh, um, oh no, but I was talking about what they have. They've released a lot of Jeff Buckley stuff since. Loads. There seems to be a lot of it around. And it even released like a new single like last year, end of last year. What? I didn't even realise that. There's a lot of like, like any artist, there's like a default mode that you're in when you're relaxing. And his is like... um. Torch song crooner kind of thing, and mm. there's a lot of that, and it's quite generic. Mm. It doesn't reach what's on Grace or the new songs on Mystery White Boy, which that's, are much better than the sketches ones. I think. That's yeah. like people yeah. should be allowed to release what they want to fucking release. Same with Elliot Smith. We talked about this on the Andre yeah, Curious episode. Yeah. Yeah. There's a real, yeah. There's some real like barrel dragon ha- happening. 
Like leave, leave the holy texts and don't mm. dilute it with yeah. stuff that he didn't want seen. Do yeah. you know? Like, and I think his like uh, Jeff Oakley's mother is really supportive, obviously, oh. of her son, and she's mm. a huge force behind the re- the releases and and remembering his legacy. And she, you know, she appears in documentaries, and she, I think, she came to a gig, a tribute gig that was on in Dublin a good mm. like maybe ten years ago. Mm. Um, so I can totally understand from her point of view why you want to get into the the tapes of everything that he did and get it out there. Mm. But as, as a listener, yeah, it's sometimes you can be like, maybe we don't need any more of his mm. stuff. And like, you know, there was an album w- released where he was in Gods and Monsters and there was like tracks released from that that he did that like were grand, but maybe not amazing compared to what he did. And oh, I the did Gary wonder, Lucas the Gary Lucas stuff. Yeah. And again, I was like, okay, this is, this is fine. But like, I want to go back to all the really good, the good stuff. Like, yeah, you know? because it's, um, for anybody who doesn't know, Gary Lucas co-wrote like Mojo Pin and Grace mm. and you can hear the original versions on this ah. but it's like what if a virtual guitarist a virtuoso guitarist just noodled over Mojo Pin and Grace <laughs> really squiggly <laughs> for five minutes I, like, have, I yeah. have seen every squiggly guitarist that you can name I have seen Joe Satriani I have seen Ingve Malmsteen I have seen oh, wow. Steve Vai oh, I was a guitar widow as a teenager <laughs> I we dragged like Dream Theater I was and dra- I bands. I brought my teenage boyfriend to see Dream Theater. Oh my god! <laughs> in London. Oh my god! I like mock my boyfriend so much for being into bands like that. Sorry, mm. no I'm really, I'm really like worried that. lately that Buckethead is actually good. This is my new, my, my real deep concern is I listened to a lot of Buckethead as a teenager wow. because I was like, this is the only one. It sounds like video game music. I have a very limited scope of interest, mm. and I'm like, shit, is Buckethead good? <laughs> uh, who am I? But yeah, that squiggly shit, man. Like. I, I recognise that that I don't understand it and I always felt like there was something profoundly wrong with me because all of the <laughs> lads I knew were bet into this guitar math rock and I was just now going oh it's because when you're learning guitar you are looking towards these people going okay maybe I can aim towards that mm. and you're impressed by it whereas when you actually like get into like melody and chords I like I never really like soloing when I play guitar I was yeah. for like rhythm stuff and that's what Jeff Buckley is an amazing guitarist amazing but he's an amazing rhythm, rhythm guitarist, guitarist. Yeah. So what he can do the way he shifts things and adds bits and pieces but then he can bust out a, a shred little. if yeah, he needs yeah, it yeah. but he he doesn't he chooses not to shred which I respect so much <laughs> I too <laughs> yeah. 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 I have encountered so much shredding in my life that I never want to except this Buckethead thing I'm not going through I don't know maybe Buckethead is secretly good my payback for going to um, Dream Theatre was making uh, Dar, please out Darren Giles, um, go and see uh, fucking Pink Martini. Oh, in, wow. In Paris with me. I was a very cool 18 year old. Yeah. That owned. It was so good. That was like not the best gig of my life. Way <laughs> up there on the best gig of my life. Like, I'm telling you. I think that's what I liked about Buckley as well because his music kind of had an oldie kind of mm. vibe especially on Grace yeah because it's had an oldie kind of yeah. edge to it because he, he loved all the like jazz singers yeah. you know mm. and he loved yeah. like he loved women he loved women's voices mm. he loved paying tribute to them um, and he like female vocalists obviously and that that's cool as well you know that he's like especially when you're growing up as a teenager all the canon that you're introduced to and back mm. in the 90s it's like 
dudes, 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 dudes. Yeah. And then there are women who are allowed to be in there. You like know, maybe. Apple, yeah. Maybe. Oh, I was obsessed. You like, know, honest to God. Like, like she's like, we can do all of on her. Perhaps. I didn't quite get, actually, yeah. I kind of feel like I missed out on her and she oh, was really great as well. But I'm mad about I, her. I, I wasn't obsessed. I, yeah. was, it was my, that was my kind of full canon there. Is oh, Rufus, Regina and Ben. Um, but the, the girls were few and far between in a yeah. real way. Like, in a real way. Um, but I think there was something kind of ambiguous about Jeff Buckley, especially on Grace. Definitely, you know, like it wasn't Butch. No, it didn't. Mm. And if there's interviews with him where he's wearing like you know kind of pink t-shirts and things like that, like he was open to kind of the feminized side mm. to him. And I I don't want to use that, those words wrongly. Like no, but, but I think you know like he wasn't this like nice. macho kind yeah. of. Um, the shirts he wore were they wouldn't be not blouses. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 He, he was and wearing, kind of paisley and like yeah. But exactly. you think you think of like the boy guitar heroes of today, and I'm gonna say it, Sharon. I'm just gonna say it, right? I'm just gonna. <laughs> are you allowed to mention that I'm under the bridge troll into? We might bleep room. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that would be so great <laughs> really if we just beeped every time we said it, Sharon. I would love that for us. Uh, look that guy. Um, I I just think the audacity. The audacity of him wearing shitty t-shirts and never brushing his hair when he's out here being like, I'm in love with the shape of you. Also beep that. Um, and it's like, could you not just like wear a nice shirt? Maybe a bit of fucking concealer. Like, would you not just, if you're gonna, like, would you not just take a bit better care of yourself, man? And poor little, like, you think of all the way, the way that, it's, it's just, it's a gender stereotype thing. It's just like, you think of, you know, Ariana Grande up to her eyeballs and tull and femininity. Yeah. And then, you know, on the other hand, you've got, like guitar boys who won't like have a shower do you know so somebody like Buckley who kind of walks that 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 soft line and presents in a kind of a femme way it's kind of, I just think it's kind of nice it's it's a sign of confidence it's not a it's mature or something yeah do you know and it's owning like who he is as a person because when mm. you I think you know there's all the, a lot of the myth around him too is about like how his dad was Tim Buckley mm. who was very huge in the 70s died tragically as well and oh uh, not in the not in the same circumstances though and that like he you know the whole thing is like he didn't really see his dad he saw him maybe like once or twice when he, he was growing met him up once, when he was eight, once wasn't yeah. yeah and so he was really small when he met him and yet then then he came to attention because he played at this tribute night to his dad and that's how people were like hold on is tim buckley has this like ridiculously you know similar looking son who it turns out is really uh great um so he was kind of had to like deal with like this idea of who people thought he was mm. because mm. of his dad's like legacy for so long so you know he there must have been some identity struggles there in terms of how he was viewed by other people and yeah. being so kind of striking looking and mm. sure probably had girls running after him guys running after him all what? day you know? he did change his name he no was way. called scotty Moorhead. scotty Moorhead is his yeah. name yeah when his dad died he changed to buckley because as a tribute Aww. to his dad yeah yeah and so he did kind oh, of take he advantage, did court a little he did advantage. he was an absolutely lovely looking little yoke wasn't he I think he kind of set the template for a lot of like sixteen-year-old girls in the late nineties for mm. what they find attractive. Yeah. Oh yeah, like uh, Jordan you know, Catalano. Kind yeah, of. yeah. Co- completely, <laughs> yeah. completely. Um, yeah, there's a facial structure thing happening the, there. The cheekbones and all that, yeah. and and you know that must have been. I mean, maybe there were times where he was, and I I think there is stuff about that in the. There's a book um, called Dream Brother which is obviously named after the song which is on Grace which is about his, uh, allegedly about his relationship with his dad but this book um, is about Tim Buckley Tim Buckley and Jeff Buckley and every second chapter is about each one of them mm. um, and there is I think stuff in there about, about image and like how 
you know, he kind of wrestled with the fact that people looked at him and were like, there's this really good looking guy. And, and you know, that's kind of, it could be a struggle. You could be like, oh yeah, poor lad. <laughs> yeah, good looking. River <laughs> yeah, Cruise. but yeah, at the yeah. same time, it must have been kind of weird and, you know, in New York and everybody knowing him and things mm. like that too. I think, you know, I think for a long time, I, I would all, I genuinely would be like, that's not a problem. But yeah. actually, I'd say if you're not predisposed towards it, it could probably be quite frightening. And people, yeah, and people kind of only seeing the outside of you and, and, and wanting like something from you. Wanting yeah. something off you. Like, I, I don't, I, for, again, for years, I would have just been like, that's not a reason to be upset. But it actually is. And I'd say he was quite lonely. Yeah. You know, mm. any, any sort of success in that way, especially if it's connected to your physical appearance. It's weird. It's bad for you. Yeah. You know? And the last the last couple of years of his life were definitely depicted as like being a weird period of time for him. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if that's like a retrospective. It's easy to go back and look when someone's died tragically and, mm. you know, kind of put all these emotions onto it and be like, well, it's because he was struggling making his second album and everything. But he definitely was someone who had tough times and who you know, had tough relationships with people and who did have an absent father who died and mm. who, you know, who had a legacy. So And he's in that legacy immediately. He, he Regardless of how the path that he carves for, him, carves for himself, if the origin of his success is tied intrinsically to being seen perform at a tribute to his yeah. father, mm. then like, that's a web, man. That, that, that can hurt people in so many different ways, you know. Yeah. But at the time he died, like his band were on the way down to Memphis to record with him because he was really mm. excited about the new songs. Yeah. He was in a good relationship with Joan Vosserman. Yeah, I think, Simon as well. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a beautiful Fuck. photograph of the two of them that Moss. if you Google them, you're like, they were just beautiful. God, she played in Waterford last year. I was like, I missed it. So I was like, great. How is she? How is she in Waterford? She? Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm after all that. That's terrible. Yeah. yeah, Ireland has a good relationship with Joan Wasser. I think she comes mm. like she comes back and plays here. But yeah, so mm. things were like looking up. He like he was in this house in Memphis, wasn't he? Preparing and kind of yeah. like writing and things like that. Yeah. And you know, we all love those stories of like what could have been. And mm. it is sad to think like. Oh, this guy, you know, could have had 20 more albums and each one could be better than the but next they wouldn't one. Have been, like, that's not how it works. Yeah. Like and he had to give us what he gave us. I mean, he would have had to survive in this media landscape. Do you know? And I think of the people who did, weren't, weren't able to hack it, you know, and who could in the levels of fame. Like think of people like Kurt Cobain, you know, and yeah. think of people like, because you kind of can't conjure up Jeff Buckley without the specters of other legends appearing behind him Mm. in the horizon right you know it was a time you know and I don't know how anybody survives in the media era and the celebrity era that we live in now especially not the sensitive souls and the people who were already troubled in the first place troubled and brilliant do you know I don't Mm. know how anybody makes it now if they couldn't make it then do you know what I mean yeah like it's a vortex you have to it's like you nearly have to be made of sterner stuff not sterner stuff but you'd need to be made of something different yeah or be able to like disconnect yourself from what other people think of you because like being famous or being in the public eye mm. which now can be like just being an influencer on like mm. being somebody on Instagram all you have to like, do is look at so a bottle of kombucha twice man <laughs> you know like, like I'd hate it. to I'd really Super hate to have weird. that much to, to be living my life like that you know so he did have his he lived his life in front of people but he didn't have to be too uh, too exposed I suppose mm. you know so he was back doing solo shows as well in, in Memphis. He was in, doing a weekly show like Sinead again. He was like trying out all the new stuff. He, yeah. he seemed, it's not like, if you read like about he Kirk Cobain's last week, last week, 
you go, yeah, this was all leading up to yeah. what happened. Whereas yeah. Jeff, it's just, Jeff Buckley's just like... Was just living. This is like a sudden, ex- like not an exclamation mark, the reverse of an exclamation mark in the middle of a sentence, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's just yeah. happened and it's gone. But like I, somebody I know passed away in a very similar way, went swimming and never came back yeah. last year. And it was my, like, I these things just happen to people. Yeah. It is mm. the worst. It is the brutality of the universe. It is unfathomable in any way. You cannot put any sort of metric of understanding on it that they swim out and they don't come back. And they don't intend to, but... Like nobody likes to think about how unpredictable the elements are, especially on this day as another storm rolls into Ireland, <laughs> storm George or something. But like, genuinely, it's the brutality of the universe. God love them. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's oh, it's uh, it's terrifying. Like that was the thing we read last night. It's like there was no alcohol or drugs found in the yeah. system. Yeah, apparently he had like there was a thing he had loads of keys in his pocket, and you read those things that like he had things weighing him <sighs> down. That like you know it's all it's all very tragic, but like he. I know he has such a legacy too. I mean, when yeah. you think of people really like who try to sound like him or want to sound like him or wish wish they wish could sound they could like Oh, him, there's a whole like generation you know? of like early noughties male singer songwriters who have a, just a bit of Jeff Buckley or they have they Radiohead who yeah. came from Jeff Buckley. Yes, yeah. You know, because I, I don't know how well known the story is, but as a Radiohead obsessive, I know it. Um, when they were recording the Benz, they went to see Jeff Buckley live in London. Yeah. And Tom York could not figure out how to sing Fake Plastic Trees. And they went to see Jeff Buckley and he went, Oh, I went back and recorded Fake Plastic Trees that night after seeing that. Jeff Buckley live. It was like he suddenly realised how you can like sing your fucking heart out. Yeah. You know, after seeing it, him. That's oh, yeah. wild. That's yeah. amazing. Because I'd say Tom York is someone who like his, I mean, God, his lyrics can like cut you deep and I feel so emotional about a lot of it, a lot of his music, but there is a dis- disconnected layer mm. to him where he is that like, little bit kind of disconnected. Yeah. And, and maybe like you're saying there, Jeff Buckley helping him tap into mm. actually being more expressively emotional is like a really nice, Beautiful. a really nice thing, thing to think about, mm. you know. And Radiohead is another one of those bands that like teens from the 90s just <laughs> were obsessed. We've never yeah. done a Radiohead episode. No, we were waiting for Demi Adigui Bay to oh, get in contact. If you're yeah. listening, Electro Lemon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll listen into that one for yeah. sure. Um, so what like was he a gateway to you for other like singers? Yeah, because you're a singer yourself. So how and did you were a DJ in college, yeah, weren't you? So yeah, he, what he was for me was definitely a gateway into being obsessed with certain artists and also like learning about music. You know, because like mm. I think when you're like I grew up with like parents who really liked music, who loved music, and my dad in particular would have been like the influence for me, where he loved Neil Young, which oh, you know, and like yeah. Bob Dylan, the usual ones that all our parents mm. were into, real seventies stuff. So I've anything from the nineteen seventies, like movies, like music. I'm like there's something about that aesthetic and that sound we, we all love, but I particularly love. Um, so I I liked that kind of you know the emotional stuff that was going on with Jeff etc etc but what he did was he gave me something I kind of wanted I needed myself and then I could use that as a way to go on and learn about more music so mm-hmm. um, so yeah he just kind of it just turned me into like many other teenagers someone who just got really into music and mm-hmm. then started doing music shows in college and DJing and you know all that sort of crack and having the nerdy conversations with people or never feeling like you measured up to people who knew everything about mm. certain bands which I think is a big thing when you're um, when you're a teen it's always oh like do gosh. I know enough you I know? actually oh followed you on Twitter because I recognised your username from like UCC Radio you're kidding I think. yeah yeah that's I like, mad that's awesome. oblivion I remember that yeah <laughs> oh wow yeah. yeah that's my show I don't know why I still have that name on Twitter and <laughs> it's also 26 oh, I'm not 26 <laughs> <laughs> my date of birth is a 26 though so mm. that is the reason why I put it there and I was also 26 when I joined Twitter that's um, lovely there so that's amazing yeah. Yeah. I I had like when we were on Camps Radio we had a, a mobile phone 
after a few years the first couple of years people had to ring to request stuff you would no idea who was listening to you so the idea that somebody <laughs> actually did listen is pretty amazing there's nothing like more it. cool to me than on campus radio and pirate radio I was the best. I've never gotten to do it I've never this well this is this pirate is, radio yeah. Yeah. right this, this is, is the, doing this with Alan is the closest I get to realising my uh, like teenage dreams of being a late Aww. night radio show host and I think college radio owns and I would have stepped over my own mother <laughs> to get to do a gig like that. That sounds so cool. It was, yeah, like what it was kind of a stuff dream. Did you play? So it was like a, like a, I don't know what you'd say, like just an indie music mm. show. But yeah, like, I, I mean, geez, I'm sure anybody who knows me probably sick of me banging on about all that sort of stuff. But like, it you was, invited you here to ask it was questions. Exactly, <laughs> I, know, I know, I'm used to being, to asking people questions. I'm like, me, talk about me. Um, no. Um, so yeah, like Cork Camps Radio was such a formative period of my life yeah. in college. I can't even describe surrounded by people making loads of new friends people who were into the same stuff that you're into and who understood music the way that you did and who Mm. felt all those emotions Mm. you know um and getting to do I really wanted to do a music show but I started off doing a books show which looking back I didn't quite appreciate as much as I should have appreciated I was like oh you know grand um which was cool and like there was a few of us worked on that it wasn't it wasn't just me um and then I managed to persuade them to give me my hour to do Sweet Oblivion and that was just playing loads of music I loved and I'm sure I got quite repetitive at some times and I was obsessed with like you know an Interpol album or whatever um but it, it like it just kind of made me delve into things and I learned loads from the people I worked with and they introduced me to bands like Low who's another one of my favorite favorite bands um and I just kind of I don't know like it stayed with me so mm-hmm. even though I didn't I wanted to be a music journalist which I nobody really told me is a really 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 hard and underpaid job so yeah. I you know you can't be a full-time music but journalist you, but you, I know you're a news gal yeah I'm kind of a music journalist a bit as well I now, well think. I kind of I kind of do what I can yeah I would associate yeah. you with that so I went in on a lot of music writing between college and maybe that maybe like seven or eight years ago or whatever yeah. when I started going full-time news so like I've, I I loved writing reviews for um for State and mm. I did stuff for the event guide that's where I started off doing reviews for event guide and like about the very first stuff I wrote was music reviews when I was like 16 for the local free sheet you know those Deadly, free sheets yeah. where they'd have like four pages and it'd be all ads and then there'd be like two little features yeah. mm-hmm. and I used to like hand them a page and they would scan in my review and <laughs> oh I, I didn't know God. that much about music at that age so I was 100% making up some of my references there like I, I looking back I'm like what the hell how did they let me do that but like that's what I loved doing and doing that at the time um so it's a real kind of joy to get to do any any stuff like that but the music world's really changed and I think you do get to your 30s and start feeling like I don't know what's happening who are the 1975 what you know um so like not being in that world fully does uh make me kind of yearn for the days when I felt like I knew what was going on and yeah. you do see you do see yeah. every time a new like festival lineup is dropped you do see a kind of a like a wave of, of boot cut jean ass motherfuckers being like, <laughs> what about the strokes? <laughs> like, so oh, underrated, like, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, oh no, no, that's the, the where we, we've seen this happen to our parents and our aunts and our uncles. We just mm. got a, a bit of dignity, you know, it's hard, yeah, but so we have to hold yeah. our toes. You're not young I anymore. Mean, I've heard said this, but a good test is to see what size font on a music festival lineup you still recognise oh, names from. Stop. It gets very depressing very yeah, quickly. No, I, oh, geez, and yeah. I assume they're good, but also I assume a lot of them are like rap and hip hop artists who I just, yeah. I'd never developed into because I grew up in guitars. You know, yeah. it's mm. it was more divided then. So it's just, you don't know them. You don't, you, you can't even tell bad from good. It's yeah. like metal. I can't tell bad metal from good metal. This all sounds like, it literally all sounds, it says metal. all metal yeah, sounds yeah. the same to me. 
Um, yeah. yeah, I'm real bad. I'm again bad at music. Don't know any bands ever. But but I, but I yeah. think when you, like when people say like oh, I'm bad at this or I'm bad at that, like I think there can be a competitive thing where it's like you have to have this much mm. knowledge or else you are not a valid like member. Like I said, of society, went to a lot of know? speed metal gigs. <laughs> <with> <laughs> that it sounds like background. you actually know a lot, a lot more than you maybe even like realize. Mm. And I think that's that was one thing that I always found weird, especially in college, like the competitiveness of music knowledge. And I think being like being a girl as well, you'd have guys coming up and being like, and uh, you know what label were in a van on and stuff and you're like you <laughs> stop like, like, five yeah. songs get off the off stage this album. it's like yeah. no I can't leave me alone like, very strange kind there's of things a, like that happening there was an Irish uh, rap group called Messiah Jane the Expert that I was super obsessed with and went to loads of gigs but they had this horrible mean lyric in one of their songs um, about girls who like shit music and I uh, the song otherwise is unbelievable it's called um it's on the album called Now This I Have To Hear and the song is called All The Other Girls. Actually, it kind of is shitty, but I like it. <laughs> and uh, there's this girls who like shit music bit in it. And that was like this. Well, I think you and me might have, might have talked about this before on the internet. This idea of being a girl who likes shit music being like a curse that people put on you yeah. or like something that follows you around. That if you're a girl who likes shit music, mm-hmm. you are not worth anything to the conversation. And... Uh, that I am in my big age still I'm still like <laughs> yeah or I think of where like music only becomes good once a guy likes it oh, like now that Carly yeah. Rae Jepsen has the male seal of approval it's like it's okay to like Carly Rae Jepsen so you know? that is such true. a good take yeah, yeah it's so true she's fucking amazing yeah. and but lads lads love her Mm. lads absolutely love Carly and Beach House lads love Beach House as well they oh, really yeah. do love yeah, Beach House yeah, yeah. yeah. and I think <laughs> yeah. I subconsciously slightly rejected Beach House like there's mm. some bands where I'm like okay some people are they're like into them and I'm just gonna get mm. get away from them you know and mm. like I did um I did my thesis in college like my MA thing on women in bands women in music because again like I had like a quite through line of what I was yeah, interested yeah. in that yeah. I stuck to it <laughs> and nobody's ever going to care but like you're, I'm going to write this anyway um, and I had to read a good few books from like the 70s about like women in music mm. and there was always like you know there'd be a book about music and if it was written by a guy there'd be like one chapter about you know you know female fans and things like that and there's all these crazy stereotypes about like women and pop and you know like it's so interesting how they still continue like how the kind of the Beatle mania stuff is like crazy girls as opposed to these guys got really huge because young girls, girls were listening to them about and records, I, it's, you still, know. it's the same today with BTS it's the same day with stan culture like we had a TY student in the office this week and, I was, and she's a hosier stan and like is in like the background on her phone is like a boomerang of him like a stan capital S and I have I, we've talked before on the show about how I think that word has false origins and I hate it oh yeah it is, um, it is a grim it's a, a whole grim reference well, the thing is, I don't think it's about it's about this. It's about Eminem Stan. I think it, I'm from Tumblr, and I think uh-huh. that it comes from people saying, "I will stand for this," as opposed to "I will not stand for this." Okay. Right. Yeah. So I think it's a mistake that when it became a little bit closer to the mainstream, someone had to explain away, as opposed to just, "I will not stand for this." I will stand for this. Do you see? Yeah. They just don't because they're. Probably Americans. They don't. The D isn't quite the D pronounced isn't enough. There. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where Stan Orange yeah, is from. And I think sense. it's a very easy to tack onto Eminem Stan. But a lot of these kids would have zero reference for that song. Mm-hmm. So, or that concept. So I think it's from a typo. Anyway, the, and she's chatting away about Hosier and her enthusiasm. Like she was just like so impassioned, right? And I'm just like, there are millions of you. You're part of something. You're part of an ocean of girls who live for this, right? As are the 
I feel like if, if I can say BTS near my phone, I'll open it up in my Twitter timeline and be full of people yelling at me. But like that culture, that wild fevered fan culture is all young women. Like young yeah. women are the highest, uh, like they're the, the money makers, they're the, the fame makers. And yet their taste is like derided and usually, kind of usually derided. Do you yeah. Know? So I definitely think I bought Jeff Buckley's Grace because it probably would have bought me five minutes of somebody else's approval. Now, fortunately, the halo effect of that is yeah. me sitting in my bedroom, my own being like, la la sweet and heavy, like my yeah. love. <laughs> like, never singing a normal voice. I always yeah. sing that time, and they're like, la la like, voice. I was doing it last time, I was like, I know all the words, and I can't sing it properly. But I'll never uh, to listen to it again without hearing, la la like, <laughs> like my love. Like, it's such a great song. Um, but yeah, so there, there was a good halo effect off it. But generally, buying records and buying songs or buying um, CDs was like temporarily buying approval. Yeah, buying kudos. Or and safety like, or something. And like going into buying, I remember going to like record stores and stuff. And maybe everybody who buys records feels like that when they go into like independent stores and you'd be like, this is what I'm buying, okay. And like, you know, am I, am I if somebody asks you a question, mm. can you answer it? And yeah, all this because weird suddenly stuff around the fucking fandom. leave insert. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know what? I haven't listened to the second B-side on that particular release that came out like, on their Japanese-only oh CD God. in mm-hmm. 1994 or the whatever. The one band you know? I had that kind of knowledge on was Jane's Addiction. Oh, wow. So that's I, mad. Yeah, loved Jane's Addiction. Was super obsessed with the, Dave Navarro. Because uh-huh. I really was into the Red Hot Chili Peppers and my favourite album is um, One Hot Minute. And he plays on that. And he plays me. on that. Yeah. And you can really hear him on that as well. Yeah. And then I was like, who's he? Let me find him. Which led me to Jane's Addiction. I love those jigsaw, not jigsaw, mm-hmm. whatever, but like, like putting all the pieces together and being like, oh, cool. Just opens up this, this whole world. But then nobody would ever ask me any questions about Jane's Addiction. So I was just like, does anybody <laughs> want to know what music festival Perry <laughs> Farrell found it? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, so I was being forced at home to listen to uh, Dave Navarro's first solo album. And I got oh. all of his history, even though I knew he was, but I hadn't obviously because he's like he, you know he's kind of iconic in his own way but going back and having to like remember all the stuff he did and listening to that solo album has some of the worst lyrics so like oh, no. it's like mm. one of you, I can't even say them on, on air but um, real bad but it's cool though that he's like cause, you know he has all these links with those different with the different bands and they all represent different times like, yeah. eras like it's so odd isn't it like there's something happened during that decade which is still quietly happening now mm. but it's just there's just Spotify maybe one day is recommending on somebody's recommended listens fucking like that going into somebody's yeah. into somebody's playlist or, or Grace or you know like something like creeps in it's just not the same I hope people still find him and still like know who he is and do it like I yeah, I, I was on I was on uh, on Instagram last night uh, putting out little videos of the YouTube stuff that I was watching because mm. like we were kind of saying earlier that like when we were growing up listening to him, you couldn't no access any of this yeah. stuff really, you know, unless you were maybe like ordering out of the back of a magazine or whatever. Like I'm sure there were definitely much better fans than I than, than I was. Mm. Um, But the whole kind of Jeff Buckley is quite a, a soft boy in his own way and that I, whole kind of trope of soft boy. And I was like, I wonder. Oh, gee. Like, the OG soft boy. Yeah, like do, <gasps> and I don't mean that in a, in a, Dis, no, like disparaging way no, at all. No, I was no, like, no. he has all the hallmarks of like the Th- Timothy Chalamet kind of thing. Um, mm. And I was like, dude, has the youth copped on to the fact that he was the, the OG? And like, yeah. what would happen if, if Will you write that actually? Essay? I know, <laughs> because I don't want to be like, I don't want to be disrespectful because I don't, I really don't mean no, it that way. I genuinely mean yeah. he's like a sensitive guy, and that's now a kind of a you trope know, that people are recognizing. I'm the same when I talk about like, people like Kurt Cobain and people who like, like, were made suffer by the 
by the in, by the industry they worked in and what how brutal it's become today. Yeah. Do you know? So it's so interesting that that maybe Buckley what gave gave up the ghost of the first soft boy. You yeah. know, and then there's a whole tender generation of 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 like artists who have been like who perform that yeah. same thing um, publicly. I would love you to write about that. I yeah. would read. I would read the shit out. Do a of that. deep dive on. Yeah, that. Yes. yeah, I really would. I would read. Okay, that. we could probably talk about Jeff Buckley for. I know. I kind of want forever, to. Oh my probably. god, we have to go. But you have <laughs> to go have to and go. you have to go write your viral tweet about Jeff Buckley and Timmy yeah. Chalamet. Oh yeah, God, yeah. And yeah. then like, will the stands come after me? <laughs> yeah. or... so put two pictures <laughs> like, up. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I can't find Chalamet attractive, by the way. I'm just like, <laughs> just <laughs> too young. <laughs> he is very young. Although that said, I went to Little Women with my mom, and as soon as he appeared on screen, my mom's obviously not on Twitter, doesn't know anything about standing or anything. Was like. Oh, he is gorgeous. <laughs> too. So she'll kill me for that impression. But you know, the moms recognize the beauty of the face. So she knows where it's at. Yeah. Uh, but guys, thank you so much. Like thank I you. Really, this thank so much fun. This is yeah. great. Tell us where we can find yeah, yourself. Can find you oh yes. Um so you can find me on Twitter at the aforementioned ridiculous username Sweet Oblivion26. Awesome. Um I'm on Instagram the same, and then I'm on the podcast Get Around to It with Lauren Murphy, my friend. Um and we're on Instagram, but we have updated in ages but we're on every flipping podcast thing that you can find and then uh, my news stuff is on thejournal.ie and I occasionally throw shite up on ifabarry.com which sounds a bit uh, silly to have a vanity um, she also <laughs> wrote a really good personal essay for the um, Banshee oh thank was you it, which issue of a Banshee was it was, that? A Banshee, it was maybe the third one it was one with the red cover on it on the door but, uh, the, those are all published online now though yeah, right? I think so, so if you want to read about Aoife's journey with jazz music and singing you should definitely read that I think Thanks it's so awesome much. cheers so. thank you and I think I'm sure Jeff Buckley probably gets a mention yeah in definitely. there somewhere <laughs> working in a local shop anyway does so thank you sorry I'll stop now yeah. <laughs> Sarah where can we find you at Grifsky on Twitter at Sarah Grifsky on Instagram going through oh I don't know when this is coming out but I'm going back through a real serious zine phase so it's coming you, Thursday. Oh, Thursday. Thursday oh my god perfect yeah. so there'll zines. be another one out next week so yeah keep your eye on my Instagram and my Twitter uh, for more handmade uh, postal business for under three euro um, Alan McGuire where can we find you on the internet I am Alan underscore McGuire everywhere um, we're also Juvenalia underscore pod on Twitter and Juvenalia pod on Instagram we have a Patreon with mm. bonus episodes yeah which also, are real good <laughs> this is the first episode we've recorded since Rogue launched so oh, we're going yeah, to tell you guys about Rogue Rogue. Yeah. Rogue is a weekly publication that lands in your inbox with four pieces every week by different uh, women contributors of all different kinds. We are uh, uh, taking the place left behind by the shuttered women's magazines and hopefully carving new ground as well. I'm sending quality, I'm not going to use the word content to your inboxes <laughs> because content is an ugly word. Pieces. Quality pieces. We're a women's journal um, for, and we're a subscription model because all of us believe in writers getting paid because of the the 10 of us who are working behind it um have all been working in the media for a long time and understand that there's a massive culture of people writing for free which has to stop so we ask our readers to pay four euros a month which is about what you might pay for an issue of cosmopolitan or an issue of tatler or anything so yeah four quid a month and you get four pieces a week into your inbox so um i think it's great uh having a great time uh louise Machari is on board Louise Bruton's on board Nadine Reed, um, uh, Sophie White if I go through the whole list of 10 women uh, it's going to sound nuts but lots of incredibly wise people from lots of different perspectives bringing cool uh, things into your inbox Cassie Delaney's writing about crafts I'm writing about YouTube 
That's great. Yeah, I've signed up. I've paid my bill. So I'm very glad. So thank you, Dean McDonald, for our artwork. Thank, thank, you, thank you to Cassie Delaney for producing the episode and listen to other Tall Tales podcasts. And hello, Ellen in Canada. Dive. We miss and you. Hello, Ellen in Canada. We miss you. Uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks, everybody. Go thank listen to Jeff Buckley. Bye. Bye. Bye.